This is Film Focus with Emily Cook. Welcome to the 10th episode of Film Focus. In this episode, I'll be joined by my co-host Sarah and we'll discuss recent release Tickled, a bizarre, chilling documentary into the sinister world of competitive tickling. And we'll also be talking about Swiss Army Man with an interview clip from Daniel Radcliffe, one of the film's stars. I'll be catching up with special guest Hollywood props master Linda Reese to talk about her most recent work on Netflix sensation Stranger Things. We'll find out the latest on Sarah's challenge to watch over 500 feature films in a year and we'll reveal what's happening within the Isle of Man film community. And as if that wasn't enough, we'll be getting all warm and fuzzy as we reveal our top five. 80s nostalgia films. I'm joined once again by our resident film fan Sarah, who watches at least seven feature films a week. She'll be updating us on her 500 film challenge a little later. Hi Sarah. Hi Emily, how are you doing? Excellent, thank you. We've done so much since we saw each other last. I mean, I was at the Isle of Man Film Festival the other month and of course we've both been to the BFI London Film Festival yeah, as well. Yeah, as usual, the programme for that was amazing. I only managed to catch about four films out of the I don't know how many they had to offer. And uh, yeah, I really enjoyed myself this year. I saw a few features as well, but I also saw their short film programme, which was really interesting. Right, so let's take a look at our featured films this week. <laughs> I've made a career out of looking at the weird and bizarre side of life. Uh, It's quite a kick. So when I discovered a strange video online, I knew I'd found my next story. CET, Competitive Endurance Tickling group we got here. Competitive Endurance Tickling. Produced this year, Tickled is a feature documentary that follows the story of New Zealand journalist David Farrier, who, intrigued by a clip he finds on the internet, starts innocently researching the intriguing and silly world of competitive endurance tickling. As he comes up against some fierce resistance, the story quickly mutates into something quite sinister in this gripping and chilling documentary. The film was supported by Stephen Fry, who donated to the Kickstarter campaign, fueling the film's production. What did you make of it, Sarah? I went to see Tickled purely based on the premise. I couldn't not see it. There were so many question marks as to what that could possibly be about, and I wasn't disappointed. It no. was absolutely riveting how how insane this story was. I really found David Farrier as well very watchable. He reminded me a lot of like Louis Theroux and I, his approach I to things. I thought that as well. It was so Theroux-esque, I think. Yeah, and he was equally as amiable. That kind of helped makes it more watchable, makes you get more invested in what he's doing. And what they do that's similar is they both diffuse a very tense situation by just being nice. Yeah. Um, and it undermines the aggression in that situation, which is very amusing to watch, but incredibly brave. Yeah, I totally agree. I went to see the film at the Contemporary Institute for Arts in London the other day. From the synopsis, I imagined it would be odd and intriguing, like you did. I had no idea how gripping and sinister it would become as the story developed. I was really surprised by that. Pleasantly surprised, because that's the kind of thing I like. The filmmakers, I thought, were brave in their approach, but I thought a few times they were taking some risks that could jeopardise both their safety and the actual continuation of the documentary. Yeah, it was a really risky approach, certainly, but... I do think it helped the documentary. I think their bravery paid off in the end. I thought as well it was very well shot, given something that was produced on a low budget. There wasn't a huge production team behind it, but yet they got enough coverage and there were elements in the story where they couldn't gain the access because they were filming in secret. Yeah, um, it was really well edited together as absolutely. a whole, as a piece, wasn't it? The film just goes to show how the internet and technology can create a dangerous space where due to anonymity, evil can manifest. 
Swiss Army Man is a 2016 indie feature film that tells the story of a hopeless man stranded on a desert island who befriends a washed up corpse and together they go on a surreal journey to get home. Paul Dano stars as Hank alongside Daniel Radcliffe who believed or not plays a dead body for the entire film. The film is directed by visionary duo, renowned music video directors Dan Kwan and Daniel Scheinert aka The Daniels who bring their own brand of bizarre out there creativity to the mix. Sarah we went to see this at the Picture House Central preview night ahead of general release what did you make of it oh this movie is completely out there that's all I can say I don't want to spoil anything about the plot because I think it's vital you go in knowing nothing about what happens personally I found it really funny very troubling and deeply moving all at the same time I would agree with you. I've got a question for you. What would you say the film's genre is? Yeah, the genre's really tricky, isn't it? Because yeah. it's got so many elements of yeah. pretty much all of them. Well, I thought it was highly emotionally charged, hilarious, touching, surreal, dramatic. There were tropes of thriller genre. The Daniels have done an amazing job mashing all of these conflicting genres together, but with such an appealing outcome. I wouldn't have thought it would be possible. No, I know, and it's their, their debut as well in feature films, which I think just, again, adds to how amazing that feat I thought as well the on-screen relationship between the two main characters, Dano and Daniel Radcliffe, was rather intimate, as you can imagine from the story's plot. In fact, we have a clip of Daniel Radcliffe speaking about what it was like to work so closely with his co-star. We did pretty much dive straight into it. Um, we had a few days of rehearsal before, and that was very, very helpful. But, um, but yeah, on like the first or second day... On the first or second day, we were doing the scene where he rubs spit on my face and, like, drags my face down his teeth to shave. So we were just like, okay, we're going to be getting very, 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 very close on this film. Um, and, and I think we both kind of arrived knowing that was the case and there was no squeamishness. And, you know, the scene in the cave where he's, like, making me talk, you know, there was Paul was being very polite and I was just being, just grab my tongue, just stick your hands in my mouth, make me talk, it's fine. Like, um, so, yeah, we, we sort of went into it with that attitude in it. I think that there was, yeah, it would have been... There was no uh, time for, for that any kind of, sort of nervousness around that sort of stuff. That's I suppose. You give a very close shave, I know. I do, yes. <laughs> yeah, I found it really fascinating to hear Daniel Radcliffe talk about his experience on set with Paul Dano. Um, I've got to say I'm a huge fan of his. And apparently, so um, we're led to believe, it seems as if he may be branching out into directing, which I certainly will be watching what he, he does on that. Each episode we discuss a film genre theme or topic and as we've got a special guest from the crew of 80s inspired Stranger Things joining us a little later in the show, we thought we'd keep our industry topic in the spirit of things. Yes, this episode I am so excited. We're going to be taking a look at some of our favourite films from the 80s and what it was about the decade that gave birth to so many Hollywood blockbusters that have stood the test of time. Retro geek, Instagram throwbacks, vintage style and hipster chic, it's totally rad these days to focus on retrospective in fashion, print, design and most importantly for us, cinema. You only have to look at the recent Netflix sensation Stranger Things to see a programme saturated with 80s popular references. The 80s as an era was characterised by the introduction of high concept, big budget Hollywood blockbusters. As big business took control of the studios, film budgets skyrocketed due to new technologies, developments in special effects and inflated salaries of name recognition stars. After the innovations of the 70s, films in the 80s were less experimental and original, but more formulaic and entertainment was king. By the end of the 80s, the average US movie budget was 18 million, a staggering increase from the 5 million figure at the start of the decade. 
Here are the 80s films that never fail to give us that all-important notion of nostalgia. Bring on the warm fuzzies. The first film I selected was Beetlejuice, which was written by horror specialist Michael McDowell and directed by Tim Burton, and is about a couple of recently deceased ghosts who contract the services of a bioexorcist in order to remove the obnoxious new owners of their home. Why did you select this film, Sarah? I really, really love Tim Burton's approach to movies and find the worlds he creates to be really darkly beautiful. This is a particular favourite of mine from 1988 because it's the perfect blend of humour, iconic acting performances from Michael Keaton, of course, and amazing special effects. All in all, a movie I'll happily see a time and time again. And what was it about this film that you found particularly surprising? I was really surprised to find out that Michael Keaton's part of the film only lasted 17 and a half minute out of a 92 minute running time which is crazy Wow! it seems like he's in it like literally all the time I, that's that is phenomenal I would not have known that at all. <laughs> brilliant I've selected E.T. the extraterrestrial directed and produced by Steven Spielberg it tells the story of Elliot a lonely boy who befriends an extraterrestrial called E.T. who's stranded on Earth. He and his siblings help it return home whilst attempting to keep it hidden from their mother and the government. I know this is one that a lot of people are going to probably like. Um, why would you particularly recommend this film? Well, I find the film is complete escapism. It brings alive many childhood fantasies and innocently deals with fundamental life lessons such as compassion, integrity and loyalty. Similarly to The Goonies, Hook and a number of other fantasy films of that ilk, E.T. follows the plot from a child's point of view. This device really does revert the viewer back to childhood where illusions can't be broken and magic is real, if only we have the power to believe. Watching it today, the music, special effects and plots are so evocative that it can transport me back to a happy, innocent place. Released in 1982 by Universal Pictures, E.T. was an immediate blockbuster, surpassing Star Wars to become the highest grossing film of all time. A record it held for 11 years until Jurassic Park, another Spielberg film, surpassed it in 1993. An amazing amount of trivia that I certainly didn't know there, but was there anything else more on the shooting side of things, the production side of things that you found out? Yes, I thought it was really interesting that Spielberg himself was the first voice of E.T. During shooting, Spielberg acted out the voice parts of E.T. by positioning himself just to the side of camera, uttering famous phrases like E.T. phone home, but also occasionally speaking in full sentences to best connect the character to the child actors. I'll be right so dangerous about a character like Ferris Bueller is he gives good kids bad ideas. So my second film was Ferris Bueller's Day Off and that was written, co-produced and directed by the amazing John Hughes and as most people will know it's about a high school wise guy who is determined to have a day off from school despite what the principal and his older sister thinks of that. I've seen this film and thoroughly enjoyed it. Why did you select it? It makes me smile every single time I watch it, barring none, and I've seen it so many times now. I don't know whether it's the fact that the movie encourages living life to the fullest, or as a result of being on this crazy adventure with Ferris, Cameron and Sloane, um, but I always feel uplifted and happy every time I've ever seen it, and I, oh, I just love it. I think as well it's does the same thing that E.T. does in that it allows you to revert back to when you were a teen. Yeah. So when you would have watched it, you may have been going through the same part of life as the characters were. 
Yeah, yeah. So now definitely. when you watch it again, it doubles up on that nostalgia level for you. And he's a bit of a rebel as well. Do you know what I mean? In an, in quite an innocent and sweet way. Yeah. He's naughty, but you know he's he's kind of winning at the same time. So what did you find out about this film that was particularly interesting? Well, um, apparently John Hughes personally designed Ferris's bedroom and mirrored most of it on his own bedroom when he was in high school, which ah. I thought was quite charming. Excellent, <laughs> lovely. Hello, Ghostbusters. The next one on our list is the 1984 original Ghostbusters film directed by Ivan Reitman. It's become somewhat of a cult classic. The story follows a group of scientists, Dr. Peter Venkman, played by Bill Murray, and his Columbia University colleagues, Dan Aykroyd, Harold Ramis, Ernie Hudson, as they get kicked out of their prestigious academic posts and start a private practice as professional ghost catchers. I think, again, a lovely classic film picked for the list. Um, what, why do you like it so much? I actually remember first watching it when I was six in America, and just like its theme tune, it's stuck with me ever since. The film is iconic, fun, and for its time, technically very clever. It made excellent use of new special effect technologies that came out of the 80s, using a subject matter that lent itself particularly well to showcasing these visual effects. Although many aspects of the film might seem slightly corny watching it today, one must remember, as with any film, it was a product of its time. The soundtrack, entertaining plot, and light-hearted comedy deliver up a generous helping of cinematic nostalgia. The film received two Academy Award nominations, including Best Original Score for its hit song Ghostbusters, and also for Best Visual Effects. In terms of the visual effects, I understand you found out something about the Marshmallow Man. Yes. Have a guess what the marshmallow goo was made from. Okay, so it's not marshmallows. No, it's not marshmallows. I really don't know. It's actually made from shaving cream. Oh my God. I know. Uh, more than 50 gallons was dumped on Walter Peck, uh, almost knocking him to the ground during the film. Ghostbusters. The last film on our list uh, was Blade Runner and that was based on the novel Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep by Philip K. Dick and is a classic envisioning of a dystopian future set in 2019 Los Angeles. I need you Dex. I need the old Blade Runner. The film focuses on a replicant hunter who must pursue and try to terminate four replicants who stole a spaceship and who have returned to Earth to find their creator. I absolutely love this film and remember studying it at university. Why did you select this film as a, a classic nostalgic 80s film for you? Mm, it's, it's a bit of a strange one this one because I wouldn't say it makes me feel warm and fuzzy with nostalgia as such um, but it really blew me away and it stayed with me for a long time. Ridley Scott's creative vision especially with regards to the location in which the film set was just mind-blowingly good. I've read quite a few Philip K books also and have enjoyed every single one of them. And this movie, in my opinion, is one of the best interpretations of his ideas out there, along with Minority Report and A Scanner Darkly. Excellent. What interesting facts did you find out about the production of this film? Well, along with Ridley Scott, apparently in 1969, Martin Scorsese showed an interest in doing something with this novel, but the novel was never optioned and so the project fell through. But I really would have liked to have seen what Martin Scorsese would have done with it. Well, it's one of those scripts that would be quite fun to give to several iconic directors and see yeah. what they'd do with it. You know? yeah. I mean, Why do people not do that? That would be awesome. Stamping their vision on it. Yeah. 
We asked you on Facebook about your favourite 80s films and we had a tremendous response. It's a really popular topic. Uh, musician Ian Siegel-Berry agreed with me and voted for Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Script supervisor Ben Desmond, who was a previous special guest on the show, recommended Back to the Future. Oh, Back to the Future. Yeah, awesome. good choice. <laughs> um, Philip Hawkins and Linda Reese, our special guest up next, went for Inner Space. Again, fantastic choice. <laughs> and Robin Cole chose The Goonies, which was screened at last year's Isle of Man Film Festival. There were just too many to go on our list. 80s films are just brilliant. We should do End 100 of. best <laughs> 80s films. Um, some great suggestions there to add to the list. Thank you so much for getting in touch. We always love to hear from you. You'll find more on the topic of our favourite 80s films, including trailers, posters and links to the film on our blog. Links will be in the video audio file description boxes. Here at Film Focus, we love to speak with special individuals from the world of film and television. And this episode is no exception. This episode, it's the turn of Hollywood props master Linda Reese, who's worked on the likes of American Beauty, Cruel Intentions, True Detective, to name but a few. I caught up with her a few weeks ago at the Isle of Man Film Festival to chat about her most recent work on Netflix sensation Stranger Things. She was wearing some jangly jewellery, which explains background noise. I'm here in the Isle of Man with Linda Reese, who is the props master of Stranger Things, which is a complete sensation on Netflix and is doing incredibly well. Um, hello, Linda. Nice to have you here. Nice to be here, Emily. So for those who haven't seen Stranger Things, could you explain it in a nutshell? Um, it's an eight-episode show on Netflix, uh, which is kind of a homage to E.T. and Stand By Me and Poltergeist. And if you mushed all those together, so Spielberg, Stephen King, homage, it's really that. It's completely saturated with um, references and postmodern um, links up with other films. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, what were the biggest challenges that you came up against working on it? Um, for me, in the prop department, I have to have multiples of things. I can't just have one bicycle because I have a principal child riding a bike, I have a stunt person riding a bike, I need doubles for those bikes. So the bikes were the biggest thing because trying to find vintage bikes and find four matching vintage bikes four times was pretty hard. So what we ended up doing, what I ended up doing, was finding contemporary bikes that we then pulled apart and bought... Um, banana seats and lights and, and big handlebars and we painted them and changed them and created those bikes that you see in the show. So you basically had to reconstruct them from scratch? Yes, we, we MacGyvered them as we like to say. <laughs> Amazing, so um, for those who don't know what a props master does, could you explain the, the job role? We're in charge of anything that an actor touches. So we start with the script and we go through and we source what is scripted. Then we look at the scenes, for example, the school. Not only are there specific props scripted, but then you've got 150 kids coming to school in 1983 when they didn't really use backpacks. So we needed binders and folders and books and school books that all had to be right. Uh, lunch bags, lunch pails. So we would get all those and then we make sure that each take, the continuity remains the same. So I have a set person who works with me, um, who runs the set and makes sure that the continuity side is right. I get all the stuff together and then we work out what we need each day and 
when the circus comes to town and we take everything out and we shoot and we put it all away and we go home. And there's a lot that rests on each individual item, so it's a, it is a highly pressured job to get it right. Yes, and quite often um, there's time, well, most of the times there's time element and money element. So that I have to look and see where I spend my money. For example, the school books, the school folders that everybody carried, these trapper keepers. To buy the period ones are $40, $50 a piece. So I was able to find multiples of those and I bought them for my principal actors. But then we took those covers and we scanned them and we printed them and we stuck them on new binders and we added an extra piece because the trapper keeper has a little flap that closes it yeah and um so we made those for the background kids and so we do a lot of that where we'll we'll create multiple things um on a slightly cheaper level in an ideal world i'd have everything period but you can't always do that no, of course. Um, I've had the pleasure of working with you before um, on a Harrison Ford film, Paranoia. We oh, right. created yes. the yes, dead body did. scene, which was fantastic. For those interested in maybe a career in the props department, maybe as a props master, what advice would you give to people? Um, you have to start as an art department runner and always say that you want to gravitate towards the prop side. Um, having a joy in making things and a way around tools and glue guns and paints and uh, that kind of stuff is always great. You have to kind of think outside the box all the time um, and be able to, to um, make snap changes because things move so fast and you can't be married to, you know, something and go, this is exactly what I wanted and, you know, and then the director goes, I hate that. So, um, But you have to work hard um, and... and uh, I was just saying to somebody, I always tell people, show up, shut up and smile. <laughs> I think that's excellent advice for a lot of the film industry. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much, Linda, for joining me. You're welcome. Thank you, Emily. Enjoy the rest of the festival. I don't watch a lot of TV, but I have to admit I was obsessed with Stranger Things when it was on and I really can't wait for the next season to come to our screens, I think, next year. Well, it's still on Netflix now if people out there haven't seen it yet. I think I might have to watch it again, actually. <laughs> I didn't know much about the role of Props Master also, um, so it was really interesting to hear Linda's tips for getting into that part of the industry. But I think, as you said, there seems to be the same advice across the board. Just smile and follow orders, and I think then you're going to be fine aren't you absolutely if you caught our previous episodes you'll know that sarah is on an exciting journey to watch over 500 films over the next year that's on average 46 a month 9.6 films a week and 1.36 films a day before we draw things to a close for another episode sarah can you give us an update on your progress what number are you up to and what's your favorite film that you've watched since we last spoke Sadly enough, I'm nearing the end of my challenge. I think it's around the 6th of December I've got until yep. to um, watch all my 500. I, th I think we need to have a drum roll. How many are you down to? <laughs> I've watched about 450 at the moment. I especially enjoyed my John Carpenter marathon in preparation for seeing him perform his film and personal compositions on Halloween night. His compositions, basically, his music. So it was an amazing event. It was really great to rewatch some of his absolute classics like Halloween and, yeah. you know, Big Trouble in Little China, Escape from LA, all of those fantastic things. When I set you the challenge a year ago, I wasn't quite sure whether you would <laughs> keep on track with it, but the fact that you're almost there 
with a year, that is quite phenomenal. I know. You're the I love most them. dedicated film fanatic I know. <laughs> um, can I throw a bonus recommendation in there? Always. A film I saw at the BFI London Film Festival, um, which is called Flemish Heaven. It was selected for the Toronto Film Festival to be screened in their discovery section and really worth a watch. Yep, I will certainly check it out. Thank you very much. If you'd like to follow Sarah's progress, go to YouTube and search for Sarah 500 Film Challenge. We'll include a link on our blog page as well. There's also a place to comment and suggest films for her to watch, like I've just done. It's always great to hear from you, so keep your comments coming in. Now, from my challenge update to what's happening on the Isle of Man, there's always something to get involved in on the island, so what's the latest information we should know about? Well, Man in Shorts, which is the short filmmaking scheme on the island, is gearing up for a busy 2017. The three short film project finalists of this year's Pitch Fest event are in pre-production stages and set to shoot from February and through the summer. Man in Shorts trainees aka shorties will fill crew positions on these projects and in preparation for the shoots there will be more filming workshops held in the coming months. Do check out Man in Shorts on Facebook M-A-N-N-I-N Shorts. Uh, if you'd like to get involved. With the dust still settling on the 5th Isle of Man Film Festival, the team are already working on next year's offering, with the 2017 dates confirmed as the 4th to the 10th of September. I think that might be an exclusive announcement actually, I'm not sure if that's been publicly announced, so there you go. 4th to the 10th of September, get it in your diary. In the meantime, Isle of Man Film Festival will host interim events, and details on those events will be shared in the next episode. To find out more information about the Isle of Man Film Festival, search for them on on Facebook as well. The Isle of Man is also proving popular with TV production companies with various projects shooting on location around the island. The most recent of these was Top Gear, the BBC motor show now hosted by Matt LeBlanc. In December the island will welcome back director Amara Sante um, who shot some of Belle there and she's going to be shooting her new feature Where Hands Touch and next year is looking good for productions as well so please watch this space it's all going down on the Isle of Man. If you've enjoyed listening and would like to keep up to date with our daily posts please find us on Facebook. Simply search for Film Focus. Thank you for joining us for our 10th episode of Film Focus. It's been great fun. Please check out the links in the audio and video description boxes for more from Film Focus. You'll be able to find a blog post of this episode over on our site featuring links, movie posters, trailers and a summary of our thoughts this week. There's also space to leave your comments and have your say. We'd love to hear from you. Also a little reminder that Film Focus is available on iTunes so do search for Film Focus on your podcast app. But we'll be back soon with more from both Sarah and myself. See you then! So that's a wrap on this week's episode. If you'd like to discover more, find us on Facebook. Simply search for Film Focus. For screenings, reviews and filmmaking opportunities, right here in the Isle of Man. Thanks for listening to Film Focus with Emily Cook. Happy movie going! Happy movie going!